Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Don't hold nothing back. This is it. Fight. Let's go. Championship football. Championship football. Try to show these boys how we really get down, man. 16 weeks. Let's go. Thousands of hits. Catches, tackles, kicks, passes, and blocks. A lifetime's worth of blood and sweat. All poured into a 60-minute, bone-crushing, adrenaline-fueled battle of bodies. Welcome to Go for the Two. With Yahoo Sports Radio college football analyst Joe Lisi. And former Georgia Bulldogs wide receiver Corey Allen. Right, let's rock and roll. Huddle up. Here's Joe and Corey. Oh, great, great. Month of June, we just kick it off. We're another step closer to the beginning of the 2016 college football season. What better way to kick it off than what go for the two? We have a great show planned for you today. Fox college football analyst Charles Davis will be joining me. Corey is here. He's with us. I know he's chomping at the bit, but Charles Davis is going to talk some SEC Big Ten football with us without further further ado, I want to welcome in the former big play wide receiver from the University of Georgia. Corey, we're inching closer to July. We're in the month of June, but it doesn't get better than this, does it, my friend? Hey, Joe, I tell you, I'm extremely excited because, you know, as we get closer, things got to come to a head. We're going to find out who's starting and who's ready to take on new position challenges. We're going to find out what team is strong enough to really present themselves and uh, ready to compete for a championship, and we can all analyze it all up until week one. That's when all the excitement will unfold. So uh, me personally, you know, I stay excited about the college football atmosphere, just the environment itself. We've got a great show today. We've got a great guest lined up. You know, I hate I can't be with you the entire time, but I tell you what, I had to join in and just get the vibe of, you know, what we've got on the forefront. This is incredible when you think about it, Corey. I mean, the week one matchups, I mean, when you really break it down, and I've talked to former players such as yourself, they're saying this is possibly the best opening week that we've seen in like the last decade. I mean, when you really look at the matchups and break them down conference by conference, skill player by skill player, offense, defensive lines, there's some Unbelievable games, USC, Alabama, just the storied programs and the traditions of both of those schools. And then you you look at the Florida State-Ole Miss matchup, Clemson and Auburn, Notre Dame and Texas, UCLA and A&M. I mean, the list goes on and on. And really, they all have national title implications that can really make or break teams right from week number one. I mean, this is an unbelievable season that gets college football fans ready for interconference play. Hey, Joe, I tell you what, this is really, uh, really, we're getting the feedback from the last two seasons. When you look at what happened when you take a specific case like TCU, just over in the Big 12, those teams had great opportunities to win championships, but their schedule really didn't give them what they needed. Everyone in the country has had a chance to take a close look at that, and everyone wants to make sure that they present their best foot 
foot forward and, and give their team an opportunity to play in this college football playoff. And that's what leads you to the championship. So I think everyone took heed and took notice that the schedule is extremely important right now. You've got to create matchups that are going to be exciting, not just for your fan base, but you've got to create excitement around the country. You need to play strong teams, and you've got to put yourself in that position so that you are ready and willing to compete, and you don't want the resume to be uh, what holds you back. So I'm excited, and I agree, Joe. I think this is one of the best week one scenarios that we've seen in a very long time, primarily because each school that wants to compete for a championship, they understand that they're going to have to go the entire mile. And we see new-look quarterbacks. We see a guy like Trevor Knight that moves from Oklahoma and transfers to A&M with a, a coach on the hot seat and Kevin Sumlin. He has the opportunity to really become a dynamic quarterback in the Big 12, much the way Baker Mayfield was last year for the Oklahoma Sooners in terms of his instilling a spark in that Aggie team. And they really kick off their season in a big way with top 12 opponent UCLA and Jim Moore Jr. They have a, a solid quarterback in Josh Rosen. Some are anointing him as the second coming as uh, the next Joe Montana or whatever you want to call it in terms of big play quarterback. He had a dynamic freshman season. But they lose some pieces of that team overall. Paul Perkins, Jordan Payton, both gone. Kenny Clark and Miles Jack on the defensive side of the ball. But you look at those matchups, and, and contrasting styles is what I like to see week number one. I mean, it really does shape up as being a great week of college football. And I want to ask you, is there one guy or, or one team that you really feel week one is really on the hot seat, so to speak, that really needs to start? fast and carry the momentum going through the rest. Otherwise, it could be a disappointing 2016 campaign. I tell you what, if I had to pick a team, Joe, you might you might be surprised. It's actually going to be the Bayou Bengals. I think LSU has a lot to prove coming into this 2016 season, primarily because talent has never been an issue at Louisiana State. They continue to stockpile talent on their team. But the issue that they're faced with is playing consistent football. And they're in the toughest division in the country, and they're going to have to step up this season to show everyone else that they can compete with the Alabama. They can show that they can compete with Texas A&M, Arkansas, and Auburn, and the rest of the, and the rest of the like over there in the SEC West. So I think right now a team coming into the season with high expectations with really a lot to lose taking that trip to Lambeau, uh, you, you're looking at a, a tough battle that LSU is going to have to walk uh, that first week and they've got a lot on the line, and really that might be what triggers whether or not their head coach is on the hot seat. That's a great point because I've heard from a lot of college football analysts and experts that are picking LSU to be in the playoff, and you can't argue when you have a guy like Leonard Fournette, 1,953 rushing yards, 6.5 yards per carry, and 22 rushing touchdowns in the 2015 season, and you have playmakers at the skill position. You have guys like Traven Doral and Malachi Dupree at the wideouts. You also have Darrell Williams and Geis at the running back position, but it all fails on the X-Factor, Brandon Harris, 
Can he get it done this year? Uh, we have to see he, whether he progresses on the Cam Cameron system because it is a make-it-or-break-it year. As Brandon Harris goes, so does the LSU offense because if they stock and really load the line of scrimmage and load the box with eight in the, in the box to stop Leonard Fournette, it's going to be Brandon Harris's ability to stretch teams vertically whether LSU takes the next step. They do get a boost, though, Corey. They get Dave Aranda, the former Wisconsin defensive coordinator, he comes over, but it's still a, di- a different scheme, right? It's still a new system that the players have to understand in terms of recognizing uh, formations and understanding what their their uh, assignments are from a defensive perspective. And I just feel like when people look at this game week one, they're just saying uh, LSU has the talent. Wisconsin's they're, they're slow, they're methodical. Look at who they lost to. They got crushed by Bama. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Northwestern. I mean, this team can't keep up with LSU, but they did beat a solid USC team last year in the Holiday Bowl, and the game is played in Lambeau. This is going to be a sold-out, packed, cheesehead stadium for Wisconsin. So this is this is really dark territory for LSU, and this is this could be a Lions then, to say the least, when you look at this matchup, right? I agree, though. I mean, I just look at what you what you mentioned. You mentioned that Veranda is coming over from Wisconsin. I mean, that won't help Brandon Harris a whole lot. He's going to face a completely new defense. He'll know the personnel, and he may have some familiarity in that regard. But, you know, Brandon Harris's major concern is going to have to be third down and moving the chains and keeping that offense on the field because he, he does also have to take into consideration that new defensive coordinator, that new defensive unit, with the new defensive scheme, does not need to be on the field all game long. So he needs to do his job as a quarterback, not just as a signal caller, but as the guy who's trying to take up some of that clock time and manipulate his team to stay in the strongest position possible. So, you know, I think it's going to be a tough game for LSU. Uh, Wisconsin's always going to be a formidable opponent. These teams really mirror each other, especially with their aggression and the running attack and, and how they rely on that strong defensive unit. So I'm excited to see that matchup. I think you're exactly right. Brandon Harris is going to have a major a major hurdle to jump his first week, and they can't do it just based on talent alone. They're going to have to convert, and they're going to have to do it in some special ways because I know Wisconsin, yeah, even with the new coordinator, they're going to have to be creative in how they bring pressure, and they're not going to hesitate to do so on Lambeau. When I look at this matchup, Wisconsin has nothing to lose. They're the the significant underdog. You're you're talking about a team that in LSU that many are picking, like I said, to win the national championship or even be a playoff contender. So from Wisconsin's standpoint, you should be throw caution to the wind and be aggressive early on. The question I want to ask you is if somehow, some way LSU drops this game, uh, the pressure on Les Miles, and more importantly, do you, do you see this team even being able to rebound if they drop this week one matchup? You know, that's a great question, Joe, and I hadn't thought about it until you asked it. But the best part about what LSU could have in their favor is the fact that this is a week one matchup and it's also an out-of-conference matchup. So if LSU happens to drop the ball, yes, Les Miles will sit firmly on the hot seat. He'll be the, the primary target of anyone uh, looking to apply pressure to that program. But the main thing he can lean on is the fact that he has at least 10, 11 uh, more games. And if he just so happens to run the table, you'll be amazed to where you'll find yourself at the end of a season like that because his schedule is strong. 
He is in the SEC West. He will play a tough uh, opponent every week, so it won't it won't necessarily kill his season. That's the amazing part. You know, if you don't just miss him and he just remains on the hot seat, I think he might be able to work himself through it. I know you're I know you're set for time. We got about three minutes, but I want to I want to talk about your Georgia Bulldogs quickly. Do you see any way that Kirby Smart starts either Bryce Ramsey or Grayson Lambert over Jacob Eason? You know the reasons why we mentioned before. Does he have that luxury, number one, against North Carolina this year? I think he does have that luxury. I don't think he's going to do it. But if he does decide to start uh, Ramsey or Lambert, he won't receive a whole lot of backlash because the the beauty of it is he can bring the young kid in immediately. He can bring him in in the first quarter or on the, in the second quarter or on the, the third drive. He can do whatever he needs to do, but the problem is going to come into play is only if Georgia loses the game. You know, if Georgia loses that game with any other quarterback, I, I don't think the fan base is going to take that lightly. We would rather see our team – learn uh, as we go with a young signal caller as talented as the one we have in Jacob Eason. So Kirby will have the leeway. I don't know if he's going to take advantage of it because he's going to have to put the best 11 on the field. So if Eason wins the job outright, there's no need to waste time to, you know, to, to, to play chess uh, in this type of situation. We've got to keep it as simple as possible. If he's the better man, he needs to play. Uh, the thing is, if he's not ready, then he should not throw him under that fire. He should let him stay on the sideline and maybe take a look at how that pressure is coming, get an assessment from the guys on the field before he puts him in in a very strategic situation and maybe try to protect him on a rushing down and just give him a feel for the game. So Kirby has a lot of options here. The, the, the problem is the fan base wants to see this kid. And if we lose the game, if the Georgia Bulldogs going to that game or they're struggling in that game against North Carolina in the Dome, then they're going to cry for Jacob Eason because we'd rather see him uh, versus anything else. That's a great point. And it's interesting to see who gets the nod week number one. It's an athletic North Carolina team, Corey. I called it early. I think North Carolina is going to pose some problems for that Georgia defense. You know, I love the Bulldogs through and through, but I have to see, I have to call it the way I see it. I really feel that from an offensive perspective, this is going to be a lethal offense led by Mitch Trubisky, but we'll see how Kirby Smart does it. I mean, he's a, Dominant, dominant defense coordinator, a national champion. If anybody knows how to game plan, it is Coach Smart, and we'll see the game plan that the Bulldogs have in place week number one in the Georgia Dome. Buddy, it's always a pleasure. I know you're, I know you're set on time today, but uh, is there any question that you want to, you want me to hit up Charles Davis with in terms of getting the insight, getting the information from one of the best in the country? I want to get Charles' information on Josh Dobbs, really. I want to get his information on his alpha model and find out exactly what he feels about the direction and especially the quarterback at the helm because I think they're in a special situation. So I appreciate you having me, Joe. I I think this is going to be one of the great seasons, and I'm looking forward to it. So you do your thing and go dogs. Always a pleasure from a big play player in the SEC, former Georgia Bulldog wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey will be with me. Throughout the year, make no mistake about it. He's my partner in crime there. We break down the SEC. We break down all the conferences together. Nobody does it better than number 80, play wide receiver in his day in Athens from 94 through 1997. But we're going to have Charles Davis on in a little bit. We're going to talk about that Tennessee team that had four losses in 2015 by a total of 17 points. 
Think about that for a second. Four points per game separated the Tennessee Volunteers from an unblemished record, and it really start, started week number three at home in Knoxville. They carried a 17-3 to lead in the fourth quarter against Baker Mayfield and Sterling Shepard. They cannot close the door. A young, inexperienced team that allowed the Sooners to come back, and they won that game in double overtime. A few weeks later, they had a 13-point fourth-quarter lead in the swamp and allowed Will Greer to pull out that victory, a devastating one-point loss, really carried through. And then they, they lost by four points to Alabama. Again, they had the lead late in the game. They had the ball with around three minutes left but could not close the door. This is a team that has the pieces in place. But it all falls of Joshua Dobbs. And as important as the Florida game is, that week two matchup against Virginia Tech, in my opinion, is a make it or break it game for the Volunteers because it is basically a home game. The game is going to be played in Bristol, Tennessee, 160,000 plus watching the Hokies and Volunteers play. But the pressure on this Volunteer team. They haven't done it yet. They haven't broken through. They've been close, but they haven't had that significant road victory. They haven't had that significant SEC victory over a top 10 opponent that got the the monkey off their back. So that's going to be critical. And you have a new head coach in Justin Fuente that has dynamic offensive weapons in that ballgame. They have guys like Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and possibly the most dynamic tight end in the country, in my opinion, Bucky Hodges. This guy is 6'6", but watch the way Justin Fuente utilizes him in different formations. That's going to be the key in that matchup because he's 6'6", he can run, you can set him out wide, you can put him on nickelbacks or outside linebackers to create mismatches and that's going to be an interesting offense led by Justin Fuente. Now, the defense for Virginia Tech is where you didn't see the, the dominant defensive unit led by Bud Foster. They were plus four in turnover margin, but they allowed a lot of rushing yards for a game last year. They allowed 180 rushing yards on the ground, untypical of a Bud Foster defense. Kendall Fuller got hurt midway through the year. They were solid in terms of the secondary. They only gave up about 185 passing yards per game. But that front seven, Luther Maddy, Dottie Nicholas, they're both gone. They were athletic. They weren't dominant run stuffers, though. And that was the difference when you look at the defense overall in Virginia Tech under Bud Foster last year. They were in some games, though. They pushed North Carolina to the limit, lost that game in overtime last game of the year. So, so this is a, a unit that can make some noise. But offensively is where they're going to take some strides under Justin Fuente. And we, got, we have to see who wins that quarterback battle, Motley, Gerard Evans. There's a heated battle going on with four or five guys. And that's something you want to keep an eye out on, especially if you're a volunteer fan, because it, it does fall. The pressure does fall on Tennessee week number two. And they open up against Appalachian State, another bowl team. Tyler Lamb, a solid quarterback. 
So they can't overlook Appalachian State. This is a team that can move the football. They have some offensive weapons. They're playing at home in Knoxville, but you don't want to you don't want to see the look ahead game week number one where they have the eyes on Va Tech and they come out flat. You want to see an invigorated offense led by Jalen Hurd and Kamara at the running back position. You want to see Josh Dobbs make his progressions, and that's what we have to see from Tennessee. So we'll get we'll get Charles's take on that. But another team that I, that I'm looking at overall, and I said it before. And it's Texas A&M. That's the team for me that can make the most strides in the SEC West overall. I mean, for me, when you look at what Texas A&M has on the offensive side of the ball, they get Oklahoma transfer Trevor Knight and Keith Ford at the running back position, Christian Kirk, Ricky Seals-Jones, Josh Reynolds, Speedy Noel, I mean, this group is loaded. Christian Kirk, I mean, he's a dynamic playmaker. He's a, a dual threat. He's a punt returner, kickoff returner. He can make some noise. And the pressure's on Kevin Sumlin. They have a new offensive coordinator, but they're up-tempo this year. They're running a lot faster. How much pressure are they going to put on opposing defenses this coming August and September? I mean, think about that for a second. They're going to be going at a very fast pace. And, and Trevor Knight's a mobile quarterback that has big game experience. Love him, hate him. He has big game experience. And he does have a solid bowl victory up against Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So he's a, he's a confident quarterback. I don't expect Trevor Knight to come into the system and be a deer in the headlights like Grayson Lambert was last year for Georgia looked out of his league in the SEC last year, making the move from the ACC. I expect Trevor Knight to play within the system. But you look at the defense, Miles Garrett and Hall. This is a defense that only gave up 166 passing yards per game. But John Chavis loves to play man-to-man. And when he can lock down his corners on the outside, that allows him to dial up blitz packages and put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And if you're asking me what is the biggest change in Texas A&M from last year to this year, it is John Chavis' system year number two. He may be a little bit older. The man is one of the best game planners from a defensive perspective. LSU's defense, not the same under Kevin Steele last year. Not the same. They allowed 24 points per game, most since 2008. And they allowed 224 passing yards per game last year most since prior to 2008. Under John Chavis, that wouldn't have happened last year. You know how I know? Because Texas A&M only gave up 166 passing yards per game in the 2015 season. The man understands how to mix up coverages and confuse quarterbacks. And that's what I look at when I look at Texas A&M overall. That is the biggest, biggest change in the Aggies this year. John Chavis's experience and his familiarity with the personnel, his understanding of how these players react in key situations. And that's what it is for me. How do they react under game experience and pressure? And that's what John Chavis realizes now. He understands the personnel that he has. He understands when, what he can dial up in terms of defensive schemes. He understands how those schemes are going to react under game situations. 
So that's going to be the biggest change for me and an upgrade. And we'll see how they respond because they, they're going to be challenged week one by Josh Rosen and the UCLA Bruins. But I think it's not the same team in my opinion. But without further ado, we're going to call Charles Davis right now. We'll get him on the horn. One of the best minds in college football. Hello? Charles, Joe Lisi, how are you today? I'm well, Joe. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we we get into some conferences and teams, I, I I want to get your take on, have you seen a week one like we've seen that we have coming up in 2016 with so many marquee matchups. No. I mean, I, the, the last I can remember, it has to be about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I would say that you're right. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to dispute that at all because I can't recall one disloading. You know, just off the top yeah, of my head, like you said, you do a little research, you find it. But off the top of my head, I'm going, this is unbelievable. What a stacked weekend. And games that would be – the most significant games in the country in past years are kind of relegated this year. Like UCLA, Texas A&M, that would have been a monster game in most years. This one's kind of like, yeah, that's a great game too. That's a really strange year. <laughs> it, it really is incredible. I mean, you have, a, you have a team in Houston and Tom Herman taking on Oklahoma. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. I mean, it's really unreal, and, and really some teams can really make it or break it in year number one. I want to stick to the SEC right out of the gate. Corey could not join us today, but he did want to get your take on your Alamada and Josh Dobbs. In my opinion, this is a team that lost four games in 2015 by a total of 17 points. Is this the year, in your opinion, that Josh Dobbs and this team break through for a monumental SEC East title? You know, Joe, I think that for them, for Tennessee, um, it's one of those years where whether you want the pressure or not, you're getting it because they've been building towards this. I think they've done a magnificent job. I think anyone who knows me and, and can trace any history knows I've been a big Butch Jones supporter from, from the word go. I wanted him to have the job at Tennessee. You know, there were a lot of people who were competing for it. He was the guy that I wanted to have it. I was glad he got it. And they've been building towards this year from the minute he got on campus that this was going to be the year. Last year they almost stole it and got and got a year got in under the you know under the wire a year ahead of schedule. You go back to the Oklahoma game, the Florida game, both of those were there for the getting. They didn't get them, and if they had, they probably would have stolen the East in year one in in, in a, a year ahead of schedule. So this year, barring catastrophic injuries, Dobbs plays throughout, Hurd plays, all the other guys. You know what I'm saying? They right. to me are the clear favorite in the SEC East. And like it or not for them, and I'm not putting pressure on them, this just, I'm just being as real as I can be from my perspective, with my own thoughts, anything less than an SEC East championship this year is a disappointing season. Again, and barring catastrophic you, I- injuries. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I'm with you. I think I'm so happy that the administration allowed Butch Jones to build that program and get his recruits in there after Lane Kiffin and Derek Dooley. And I agree with you. I guess when I look at this season overall, and everybody has eyes on Florida, but I really feel that week two matchup in Bristol, Tennessee, could really make it or break it in terms of when you look at the pressure, 160,000 plus watching <laughs> that ball game. 
and you have yeah. a new head coach in Justin Fuente. They have some offensive weapons like Cam Phillips, Isaiah Ford, and possibly, in my opinion, best tight end in Bucky Hodges. That could be a dangerous trap game, even though it's technically a home game for them. You can't look ahead to Florida because that, that, that's a dangerous game to make the season. Agreed. Agreed totally. And you're right, it's technically a home game for Tennessee, but it's played in Bristol, Virginia. <laughs> you know, I mean, Virginia right. Tech's got plenty of representation there. As you said, 160,000. How many of them actually see the field or they watch it on the big screens that I heard that they put up for the game is going to be, you know, it doesn't matter. I think people want to be there for the atmosphere. And I think what you've said rings really true with me as well. It's, it's a trap game in the sense that Tennessee will be favored, that people expect Tennessee to win. But as year one of Justin Fuente, who's a very nice coach and did an excellent job at Memphis State, and when you look at what's gone on there and the opportunity to kind of sell his program early, to sell his way of doing things, no better way than to beat Tennessee in, in week two. Because if they do – after, you know, Coach Beamer and all the success they had there, things were waning at the end. But you know as well as I do, Joe, if, if Justin Fuente has a season where they go 4-8, and eight, everyone would be talking about, God, you know, we had Coach Beamer. Although <laughs> conven- conveniently forgetting that for the last few years they've been grumbling about Coach Beamer. But that's just how right. it goes. But if, he, but if he jumps out and beats Tennessee early, he sells his program, he sells himself, and I think Virginia Tech people buy into him that much quicker. And that's why it's a very dangerous game because they do have talent, as you noted. That's going to be a heck of a ball game. And, boy, the atmosphere is going to be out of control. Yeah, best best atmosphere in college football, the biggest game ever. And you're absolutely right about that. When you look at Georgia, and I told this to Corey, and I want to get your feeling, uh, Kirby Smart, I mean, his ex-teammate, big-time player there during his days in Athens and dominant defensive coordinator, he takes over the program. This was a Georgia team that won 10 games against opponents with a combined record of 51-72 and 72 overall. The three games that they yeah. lost to Bama, Florida, and Tennessee, those teams 33-9. and nine. The question I posed to Corey, and, and he agreed somewhat, it was, does Kirby Smart have this year a, a, as, a, as a given in terms of to start Jacob Eason? I mean, if he starts Grayson Lambert or Bryce Ramsey over Jacob Eason and the team goes 10-3, and three, the pressure's going to be on him in year number two with an inexperienced quarterback, possibly a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. I think he has to start Eason this year to get the inexperience out of the way because that'll set the stage for year two. Do you see that as well? I think it's a I think it's a great school of thought. I think where a brand new coach at a program like Georgia has to walk a certain line is that he's got to be true to the guys that are still in the program. Because you've seen it a million times, Joe. New coach comes in, right? Okay, I'm going to play my guy. Sorry about sorry you guys. I know you're not my guys and you're seniors and eh, I'm going to play these guys. You have a hard year, a hard transition. There usually is a schism there. The good right. coaches, I believe, come in and say, listen, you've all, you're all my guys, okay? I chose to be here and take this job, so you're all my guys. So let's, let's figure out who the best are and let's go play. And those of you who want to buy into what I'm doing, you're, you're going to be treated pretty well. If you decide, well, I like the way Coach Rick did it, well, you know, there's the door as well. So he's going to have to walk that line of being true to the people who've been around if they buy into his program. If – 
all the seniors and upperclassmen don't, that's a whole different ball game. That's a whole different ball of wax. But I don't foresee that at all. I think a lot of them like to win. I think they're going to grasp on to him. I think they probably already have with his style. And I think that he's going to play the quarterback that he thinks gives him the best chance of winning. He's not going to worry about year two. Not going to worry about an inexperienced guy. You're going to face that at different times. And if Eason turns out to be the best guy, so be it. He'll play him. But if he thinks Lambert or the other guy gives him a better chance, he'll play him, I believe, because the SEC East is tough enough without saying, I'm just going to play a guy and give away a year. I don't think coaches even think that way. Right. The, the one thing I, when I look at and one team that everybody's high on, I'm not that high on them for certain reasons, is LSU. I mean, you can't argue Leonard Fournette, Malachi Dupree, Traven Doral, and they have Geist and Williams at the running back position. But it all falls on Brandon Harris. But I look at the defense yeah. last year under Kevin Steele. 24 points per game, their most since 08. And 224 passing yards per game, their most since prior to 08. Now, they get Aranda. But it's going to take a while for them to understand the scheme, no? I mean, I just don't see how they're a clear-cut top-five team this early on in the season. I wanted to get your thoughts. I think people are looking at the talent level. Um, I've had a couple of people, and you've probably heard the same thing. Tell me if you if you haven't, that, you know, Ohio State this year, of course, that was, you know, their pro day was the Oscars of pro days this year. And it proved out in the NFL draft with the number of guys that they had selected. I've had people tell me already that, you know, LSU always puts out talent, but there'll be a bunch of guys again this year, maybe even rival Ohio State for the same number last year. So I think that when they're looking at it that way, that's part of the issue. What you said is so true. Brandon Harris has got to be something at quarterback more than just a guy who hands off to Leonard Fournette because if we go back to the Alabama game last year when Fournette could not run the ball, You earn your stripes as a quarterback when you throw the ball effectively when people know you're actually going to throw it. It can't just all be off of heavy run, heavy play action, pick your spots to throw it because no one is pressuring you. It has to be when the game's on the line, people are in your face, your runner can't break things down for you. Can you do those things? That's a jump he'll have to make. And then defensively, Aranda, Dave Aranda is a guy that I think will take that talent and turn it loose. And I think that's what you're looking for after the year they had last year. Can they just go ahead and go play? Go, go make plays, guys. And Aranda's not averse to that. He's a pressure guy. He likes to put guys in the right spots. And if you look at what he played with at Wisconsin, there's always a bunch of guys that come pro, pro time, you know, uh, pro draft time. We spent a lot of time talking about the overachievers there. They play with heart. They, you know, they're fundamentally sound. They're in the right place. They make plays. Well, you remember that overachieving defense he had. The year Ohio State won the national title. Remember they played the Big Ten title game? They yep. were either number one or number two in the country, Joe, going into that game in total defense and just got totally out-athleted and shredded that night. Well, he won't have that problem at LSU. There should never be a game that he's just out and out, out, out-athleted. Okay, so if you have that and those guys will play with the same discipline that the Wisconsin kids played with, that'll be fun to watch because I think then he'll be able to turn them loose and let them go make some plays. Yeah, and the hot seat, the hot seat is on Les Miles. They somehow, some way, dropped that game week number one in Lambeau Field. I mean, the pressure will be on. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand. I don't see if they lose that game, how he makes it through the year as head coach, unless they run the table 
but that's a, con- uh, a discussion for another day. We'll talk about a team quickly that I feel has the best yeah. talent offensively in the SEC. It's Texas A&M, Charles. I really feel Keith Ford and Trevor Knight will bring a dynamic duo to this offense, and possibly they have one of the most dynamic receiver cores in the nation and year number two with John Chavis is the big thing for me. I think Miles yeah. Garrett and Hall and then that secondary can be dynamic, and I think they have the schedule to possibly be a playoff team, in my opinion. I want to, I want to get your thoughts about A&M and what you feel Kevin Sumlin can do with 2016. Yeah, I think they can definitely be a factor, and to me it does come back to the quarterback this time. And I know for people who listen to, to, to shows, they always go, they always talk about the quarterback. Well, there's never been a time in football, forget college, forget the pros, forget high school, forget Pop Warner, put them all together, okay, that it's never been a time in the, in the game that we love that's ever been more quarterback-centric, in my opinion. In other words, so much is on the shoulders of the quarterback. They do have to play well for teams to, to, to make hay and win games. They, you know, it's hard to game plan around them and lean on other parts of your, other parts of your team to get it done. The quarterback has to be a factor. That's why when I look at Trevor Knight, and I, was, you know, I did a lot of college football. I remember when Trevor Knight had the, the big game against Alabama. That was the breakout for him because, remember, he had started the season that year and really struggled out of the gate. Didn't play as well, even though he had won the job. I had a game against West Virginia. They tried to give him a lollipop throw for a touchdown. He threw an interception on it. He just never really grasped onto it, got replaced. Then he had to play in the Sugar Bowl against Bama and had the game that we'd all been expecting, and we kept waiting for that. And I remember saying in that offseason to anyone who would listen, guys, I saw him live three times. I didn't see great play in the three games. I did against Alabama. Are we going to get the consistent Trevor Knight we saw against Alabama, or are we going to get the up and down Trevor Knight we saw before? Again, it was up and down. He didn't. He didn't. He doesn't keep the job. Now he transfers. To me, it's once again. I like this kid. He's one of the greatest kids you'll ever meet. I think he's a fantastic teammate. But is he a consistent quarterback? And that's going to be the key because the talent is obviously there. You see it all the time. But I did not see that consistency in play at Oklahoma that he'll have to give Texas A&M for them to be a contender. Because as you noted, the defense for the first time in a long time might very well be able to do the wrecking crew thing that they haven't been able to do in a long time. They haven't been able to throw up the wrecking crew sign in ages. They might be able to bring it back starting this year with those defensive ends crashing off the edge. And for those that aren't aware, the wrecking crew, guys like Clinton Corriott, Marcus Buckley, I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on back in the day. It's been a while. You're absolutely right. That's when they had uh, AstroTurf in Kyle Field back in the day. Yeah. But, <laughs> you remember it well. Uh, you remember Tennessee it well. Has AstroTurf. Tennessee had AstroTurf, too, back in the day. Yes, you remember they did. that? It's oh, got some but, of my skin on it, too, somewhere. Wherever that turf <laughs> is now, it's got some of my skin on it. Well, talking to your former teammates, guy, you know, back in the day, Floyd Miley and Aaron Hayden were two yeah. of my favorites. And, and one of my favorite, and Charles, not to get off topic, but I still say yeah. Andy Kelly, one of the most underrated Tennessee quarterbacks in history. Uh, the guy was a gamer. I, I mean, pro games no out. You can look at 1991, a touch passer, but very underrated in Tennessee history. I want to jump to the, the ACC quickly and just talk about Clemson and Florida State. 
in my opinion, you get Mike Williams back and Deshaun Watson, Wayne Gallman. That offense is prolific. But defensively, what they were able to do last year, two statistics for me. 27% they held opposing offenses on third down, and they held 8 of 15 opponents to 43% or less completion percentage. I mean, when you think about that in terms of the job that Dabo, <laughs> Sweeney, and Brett Venables have done defensively, they're getting top five talent now in, in Clemson to really make a run this year. Oh, agreed. Absolutely agreed. And you hit some statistics that are so key that defense coordinators really lock in on because – Joe, back in our day, you know, you had all those statistical boards that went up in your locker room, right? Hold hold a team to three yards or less per carry, right? Hold them to this on this. Hold them to that. Well, in today's football, most of those boards don't exist anymore. The boards that exist are boards like you're talking about. Hold them to less than 50% passing. That's a huge win because throwing the football, most people football, are pretty proficient, pretty proficient. And most of the time, they're and used to being the in the 60 percentile range, Right. Third down is huge. That's the money down. How do you get off the field? You want to create a turnover, of course, but lacking that, get off the field. If you're holding people to 27% on third down, that's off the charts. Okay, that means your offense is getting that many more possessions, and it is a possession game. You know, it's almost like basketball. Can you steal possessions? Can you create empty possessions for other teams' offenses? If you're holding them to 27% on third down, they're not putting a lot of points on the board against you, okay? So you're creating a lot of empty possessions and more possessions for your offense, and their offense obviously is ready to roll yet again. So when I look at Clemson, I go historically on them, and Dabo Sweeney and his staff, I think, have done a magnificent job. But historically, Clemson was always thinking of themselves as an SEC team in the ACC, and for the longest time, they didn't win enough to justify that thought process. I don't think that thought process is out of line at all now. Look at, what, look at what they do versus SEC teams. They win games. Look at what they do against big teams. Remember the Ohio State game in, in the Orange Bowl? They don't right. back down against anyone. This is not a Clemson team that builds up his record now, plays someone pretty decent, can't beat Florida State, remember all of that. Those days are long gone. They fully expect to win those games now, and there's no reason why they can't. And they're, they're, they're eager to get back to a national title game. And they all but won last year's, got beat on special teams essentially, didn't they, Joe? The kickoff return yeah, by Kenyon Drake, the onside kick that, that, that Nick Saban took the gamble on and helped turn the tide in a big way, no pun intended. That was a really right. good football team Clemson had, and they expect to be good again this year. And that's the one thing when I bring up uh, big games. It's the team that can break tendency, right, Charles? Because these coaches yeah. are game plan, and they know that they know the tendency. If you're passing on first and second down seventy percent of the time in big <laughs> matchups, when you have four or five weeks to prepare, you need to be able to get outside your comfort zone, mix up matchups and, and formations, and and mix it up to break tendency to keep either an offense or defense off balance. And that's where I don't see consistency in terms of the top teams to the bottom. You see it from Alabama. You see it from teams like you mentioned Clemson, but it doesn't trickle down to the other teams in the conferences, and I think that's what makes a great team and an elite team to just an average team. Do you see that as well? You know what it does, Joe? It it, it tells you about head coaches who have the fortitude to not just break the tendencies, but to follow, follow through on it. I mean, Nick Saban onside kicking in the national title game didn't have to do it. 
right? It wasn't in a position where if he didn't if he didn't do it, the game was lost. That was one of those calculated gambles, confidence in my defense if we don't get it. But this is a chance to steal a possession and really put the hammer down in a game, and he did it. Now, a lot of guys would talk themselves out of it. And I understand. I mean, the pressure is intense. The pressure is large. And you know as well as I do, a lot of times if you don't do something or if you take a gamble and it doesn't work, well, there's plenty of guys like you and me that jump on them. So, so <laughs> I mean, Dirk Cutter was talking about it with the Tampa Bay Bucks the other day where asked, someone asked him, what about going for two more in the NFL, you know, with the new uh, point-after-touchdown right. rule about putting it to two if you go for two or if you move it to the 15 to kick the extra point. And he said, really, we should go for two just about all the time. But if I go for it a couple of times in a game and don't get it and lose 18-15 or 18-16, you guys would kill me. And that was his, you know, and he's right. He's absolutely right about that. But it's going to take somebody who has that stature, who is almost unassailable to do that and break the chains for everyone else. So I think people in the NFL who want to go for two even more, you're looking at a Belichick. God, I wish Bill would go for it all the time. Then I could do it. You know, Mike Tomlin went for it the most last year, and, you know, he's got a Super Bowl in his pocket and a very stable organization, and it worked for them. Will anyone else jump out there? Because, you know, we all thought it was going to be uh, Chip Kelly in Philly, and he didn't really do it. We all thought he was going to lead the charge, and he didn't do it, so that was a surprise. Sean Payton in New Orleans. I think we looked at him and thought, you know, if anyone's going to do it, probably be Sean. Well, this offseason, what have you heard from the two NFL, from two NFL quarterbacks? Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Breeze in New Orleans, both have said they want to go for it more on fourth down, and they want to go for two more, which is now that football analytics. Well, filter it down to the college game, okay? We're going to see more and more teams. It's a different PAT rule. But Chip Kelly, when he was at Oregon, right, he brought in that shifting stuff and go for two after the first touchdown. We may see more and more of that based on the analytics as they continue to come into play, and the game will continue to filter down, not just from the NFL down, but you've seen it, Joe. Look at how the NFL yeah. plays. Quarterbacks and gun. We're seeing more quarterback run game, even a little option. The, the colleges are filtering up to the NFL now as well. It is. It's a copycat league. We saw it with Ronnie Brown years ago with with Miami with the with the Wildcats. Yeah, the Wildcats. You know, it's it's unreal when you think about it. And and that's another thing. I I don't. I think it's a simple game still. I think it, it, you know the team that can run the football effectively, shut down the run, and can create turnovers. Charles, I think that's where a lot of people don't put in the turnover factor. When are they getting these turnovers? Two teams that I look at overall, and you look at the years last year, one's in the Pac-12, you look at USC, plus 11 in turnover margin, but in the four of the six games they lost, they lost the turnover battle. I mean, that's unreal when you think about a team that could be plus 11 and really have a mediocre year in terms of six losses. And the other is Michigan. Year 2014, they were minus 16 in turnover margin, one of the worst in the country. Last year, they were still negative in terms of turnover margin. That's something that Jim Harbaugh, in my opinion, to take that team to the next step, he's going to want to change, right? Turnover margin, get positive turnovers. No doubt about it. And just think they won 10 games last year <laughs> with a negative right. turnover it's margin. Incredible. So, so that's not normal. But I think what, you, what you're talking about, you're let's talking equate about. it to something else you brought up earlier. Brought up earlier. Georgia and their, and their record versus the non-good teams, and then their record versus the three good ones they played. Well, if you take the turnover margin in USC, 
<laughs> I think you're talking about pretty much the same thing, aren't you? Yeah, it's it's incredible. I mean, they lost six games you know? to opponents. Right, forty-eight and you, 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 beat, you beat up the bad one. You beat up the bad ones that take the ball away, and then versus the good teams who do take care of the football, you don't gain that advantage, and they get you. So it's, it's going to be right. very interesting to watch as we go forward. But when I look at what teams are focused on nowadays, we talked about a few of them earlier. Third down percentage on offense or defense. Okay, winning third down percentage. Right, keeping the ball on offense, taking it away on defense. Turnover margin, you just brought it up. Are you plus or minus, right? Can you take care of the football and take it away from other teams and turn it into points and vice versa? That's huge, okay? How many times does a quarterback get harassed, hit, set? You know, it's not just sacks. It's the pressure on the quarterback, his inability to step up and make a good throw because he can't see whether people at his feet, and that leads to either bad throws or interceptions or plays of that nature. Do you defend inside the red zone? and force field goal attempts versus giving up touchdowns. That's huge in today's football. That's a monster deal. If you're going to kick field goals all game long, I'll go back to my alma mater, Tennessee, Florida, 2000, <laughs> let's see, 2014 in Knoxville. Right. Florida beat them 10-9. Tennessee led 9 nothing in that game, kicked field goals, never punched in for a touchdown. They scored one touchdown out of those. Just that is the three field goal attempts. They win the game that day. They don't. They leave Florida hanging out there. Florida has the wherewithal to come back and win the football game 10-9. So that's how important those things are. You know, that's what people are looking for, getting it in the end zone as opposed to kicking field goals. Tennessee wishes they still had Jeff Hall from 1998. Boy, was he, boy, is he special. <laughs> that, that week one game against Syracuse in 98, that was, a, yeah. that was the game that really set the precedent. They lost that. No national championship for Philip Fulmer. Before you go, yeah. Charles, and, and thank that, you that, again that, for that, joining don't, me. Don't forget, Joe, that, Joe don't forget that and a, and a really nice pass interference call on a fourth down. So we'll take it and run with it. My Syracuse friends are still cranky about that one. But but I have to be honest, there was pass interference. I have that game on tape. I That's what did I get said. there before. He got there before the ball did. But, again, 98-2, you had Clint Sterner with the fumble with Al Wilson. Yes. You know, fans can turn to that game. I remember they switched. I think it was North Carolina, Virginia on CBS, and they switched in, in New York to, to Arkansas, Tennessee to show that game. And yep. right when they when he fumbled the football, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was unbelievable, that game. <laughs> but, Charles, a better year in the Big Ten this year. JT Barrett and the Buckeyes or Jim Harbaugh? In your opinion, which team has a better year this year? I'm still going with Ohio State. Michigan is gaining and doing a fantastic job. job. I'm still going with the Buckeyes. Buckeyes. And that game this year is in Columbus to finish things off. But but we are back to Ohio State-Michigan being what it was. Last year, remember, Ohio State went in there and hammered them. I don't know that we continue to see that. But I still like Ohio State having a little bit better year than Michigan. And the last one, who wins the Pac-12 in your opinion? Who boy, I am going to I'm going to ride Stanford again, and and and, really? and Mr. McCaffrey. I know that they're going to break in a new quarterback, but there's a consistency with them that is just something else. And then you flip it over to the South side, and it's like to me, it's like okay, UCLA, when's the breakthrough? When does it right. happen? They got they got the quarterback. 
You know, the talent has been amassed there. I think my, my friend Jim, Jim Moore has done a fantastic job doing that. But now they've got to find the breakthrough. And one of those breakthroughs is finding a way to beat Stanford. You know, I mean, that's a big deal right. for them. They have not been able to get that done yet. And I don't think it's for lack of talent. So, so that, that's what I'm kind of looking at as we get things started. But, again, it's going to be a real spirited Pac-12 because guess what? Washington State's back on the scene, folks. Mike Leach is back yeah. on the scene. They'll probably be a preseason top 25 in a lot of polls, and deservedly so. And when you have a guy like Luke Falk, I'm one of the best quarterbacks in college football, yeah. an under-the-radar guy. I mean, he's a guy nobody's yes. talking about for preseason Heisman. He can put up dynamic numbers. Charles, you are the best in the business. It's been an honor to have you on my show today. I apologize for Corey, but as the season progresses, maybe we can get you on again. I thank you so much for the information today. I hope you enjoyed it. I did, and thanks for your time, Joe. Give Corey my best, and, and hopefully the next time we do it, we'll all be able to be on together. But I get it, man. It's summertime. It's, you know, everybody's trying to get things done. You know how it goes, but give it my best and keep doing the great work that you do. And truthfully, the honor was mine. So thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. He's, he's expecting his third child, uh, Charles, so he's, he's oh, doing right. daddy congratulations. duty. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. That's, he's doing the right thing. He's in the right spot. Have a great day. I, thank you so much, Charles. I'll talk to you soon. All right. You take care. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. That was Charles Davis, Fox College Football Analyst, the best in the business, an honor to have him on the show talking college football. We talked SEC. We talked Big Ten. We talked Clemson. We talked his alma mater, Tennessee. It doesn't get better than this. Big-time players, come on, go for the two, because we talk best college football in the game. Love talking college football, nothing better. You heard it there from Charles Davis. He's going with Stanford in the Pac-12. He's going with Ohio State slightly over Michigan. We didn't get into the SEC breakdown, but you got his thoughts about LSU. You got his thoughts about Tennessee. Unbelievable talk with Charles Davis. Stay with me all season long. We're just getting warmed up. Have a great week, everyone. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.